All right, all right. How are we doing this morning, King's House? Anybody excited to be in God's house this morning? Man, I love Jesus. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. Aren't you happy that Jesus didn't leave you where he found you? Aren't you happy that there is so much more to your story? He is not finished with you yet, church. Man, that's good news this morning, isn't it? Maybe I was the only one that needed a Savior when he found me, huh? I said, that's good news, right? Well, we're on part two of this series called Stand With All Your Heart. And the title of the message this morning is Catch the Foxes. Catch the Foxes. And I want to start in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are destroying our great fields, for the flowers are on the vines. Now, I know this seems like a random verse to start with this morning, but there's two things that I want to point out to you that I think are very important from this verse for us today. The first thing is that there were flowers on the vine which means that life was in bloom, that this was a season of growing, a season of expanding. The foxes didn't come during this desolate, hard, difficult time. It's important to notice that, that things were happening. It was one of those seasons in life when that, that's great, when prayers are being answered, when you're chasing after your dreams, when doors are opening up to you. It was one of those seasons. And it's important to notice that it wasn't the big bad wolf that showed up that was going to huff and puff and blow your house down. It was a little insignificant fox, something that didn't look that bad, something that didn't feel like that big a deal. But sometimes that's when the enemy moves the most in your life. We need to be aware of that this morning. And if you are uh, from Oklahoma or you've been in Oklahoma for any amount of time, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you are way more concerned about weather than the average American. I mean, you really are. It's Tornado Alley, but Oklahomans are obsessed with weather. When you go to other states, other countries, they don't do what we do, man. We watch our weather. We got radars and Doppler this and Doppler that and just all sorts of stuff going on. And I'm fully convinced that being an Oklahoma weatherman is far and away the greatest job to have on planet Earth because there's absolutely zero accountability to that job. I mean, I can predict that there's a 0% chance of rain, and it can rain 9 inches, and there are no consequences for that. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning at the same time on the same channel, you are going to be watching the same dude give you his weather prediction. Whether it's right or not, there's no other job on planet Earth quite like an Oklahoma weatherman. Now, when bad weather's moving in, and it's serious, I'm not downplaying it, man. Tornadoes are real. They are serious. But when, when tornadoes and bad weather are moving in, most of you fall into one of two categories. Now, both of these categories are very aware. Both of these categories are watching the weather. Both of these categories have all sorts of preparations. Category number one, there's bad weather coming in, and you're prepared. You are watching the weather. You are watching that radar. You've been in your storm shelter. You've made sure that it's clean. There's no spiders or scorpions, right? There's water down in there. There's flashlights down in there. Maybe even some snacks for the kids. Maybe even some board games. Like you might just spend an evening down in the storm shelter. That's group number one. Nothing wrong with that, man. You're prepared. You're aware. The second group is also very prepared, very aware. I mean, they've been watching the weather. They've been looking at the radar. Their preparation just looks a little differently than the first group of people. Their preparation, they ask themselves this question, does the truck have gas in it? Is there beer in the cooler? 
because we're going chasing tonight, boys, right? It's the only time there, there is traffic in rural Oklahoma when there are tornadoes. The actual storm chasers can't even get down the roads because of all the wannabe storm chasers clogging up the place. That's the facts. You're laughing because you fall in one of those two categories, don't you? You do. There was a tornado that came really close to my parents' house last summer, I believe, maybe the summer before, I can't remember. I mean, as soon as it passed my parents' house, man, there was houses destroying trees down. I mean, legit tornado. And we got to see that exact scenario. Those, those two groups of people play out live because my mom and my grandma, like they're in the center closet of the house. They're taking cover. They're putting blankets on me. They're, they're prepared in that way. My dad and my brother decided to take the opposite approach, right? While mom and grandma are hiding in the closet, my dad and brother are on the front porch videoing. And they're trying to FaceTime me while, Mark, look, the circulations. We're in the suck zone, man. This is wild. God, dude, get inside. It's a tornado. It's dangerous. Tornadoes are quite serious. On average, tornadoes in the United States cause about $700 million worth of damage every year. That's a lot. It's serious. We needed to be weather aware. But there's something else that's smaller, that's not nearly as big and scary, that doesn't get near as much attention. But this actually creates about $5 billion worth of damage every single year. It's not a tornado. It's a termite. So small, so insignificant. We don't hear about it on the morning news, and yet it does almost 10 times more damage than those big, scary tornadoes ever thought about doing. This is a true picture of many of our spiritual lives as well because, man, we prepare for, for, for the big stuff. We prepare for the, the calamity in our lives, for the tornadoes and for the hurricanes. But the truth is, the calamity in our lives, rarely is that what destroys our lives. Honestly, in my experience, I've seen it do the opposite. The calamity in our lives actually strengthens many believers' faith. I mean, when there's death and when there's loss and when there's global pandemics, that's when many believers rise to the occasion. Man, they're praying more than they normally pray. They're seeking God more than they normally seek. They're reading the word. They're standing on the promises. Church attendance is through the roof. We're prepared for the calamity. But I, in, in my opinion... Nothing has destroyed more faith, more family, more marriages, nothing combined than one little thing that doesn't seem that big, that doesn't seem that scary, but it's caused more damage than all other things combined. It's called compromise. And friends, I'm here to tell you today that compromise is the termite of your spiritual life. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are surrounded by it. It has absolutely become the cultural norm in our society. And listen, to stand up against it, or God forbid you have the boldness to speak up against it, you better be ready, friend, because you will be labeled a radical and a bigot and a conspiracy theorist. How dare you stand up against compromise? But friends, that's the question we need to be asking ourselves as the church. Church, how do we stand in a world full of sin, in a world full of compromise, in a world full of adversity? We're called to be a city set on a hill. How do we shine the light and the hope of a gospel to a world that is so desperately in need? How do we do that in this culture? 
And I believe the answer to that question is, is that we have to start right here inside us. Man, if you want to be able to stand for Christ, if you want to be able to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish, then you better start catching the foxes inside your very own life. Those little foxes of compromise. This is how it works. So the Israelites had sinned and turned their back against God. Shocker. I mean, that's literally the entire Old Testament right there. So now they've been ruled by the the Philistines for seven years, and they cry out to God, and they're turning their hearts back towards him, and God sends them a leader. God sends them a warrior, man. This guy has supernatural strength, and as long as he never cuts his hair, he's not like ordinary men. His name is Samson, and he did incredible exploits for God. Man, he he was wiping Philistines out. He killed a thousand Philistines in one day with the jawbone of a donkey. I mean, this guy was unbelievably marked and anointed by God. But then he started letting a little compromise find its way into his life. He started letting a little pride settle down in his life. And instead of destroying the Philistines like he was called to do before you know it, he's actually fallen in love with a Philistine. Her name was Delilah. Little did Samson know that the Philistines had told Delilah, if you can find the secret to Samson's strength, we'll pay you a thousand pieces of silver. So the very thing that was set to destroy Samson is the thing that he's pursuing. It's unbelievable how it works in our lives. So Delilah comes up to Samson one day and she's all like, hey, tell me about them muscles, big boy. What's the secret? What's the secret? Samson says, well, you must know, if you, if you tie me with seven new ropes, I will be just as weak as any other man has ever been. So Samson takes a nap, and while he's asleep, Delilah ties him up with seven ropes. And then she wakes him up and says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awakes, and he breaks out of those ropes. And Delilah's like, hey, you lied to me, boy. Come on, tell me about them muscles. He says, well, the truth is, You got to tie me with seven ropes, but they got to be brand new ropes. Like, never been used for anything else, brand spanking new. So Samson goes to sleep, and lo and behold, she ties him up with seven brand spanking new ropes and says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awakes, and he just snaps those ropes like there's nothing. Delilah's getting upset, and she's like, boy, I want to know about those muscles, son. Come on, tell me the secrets. Can I tell you this morning, there's, there are some advantages to having a dad bod. I'm here to tell you that this morning. And there's also some advantages to not having any money. I mean, broke like a joke. Because I know that Erica Hinnon, when she married me, it wasn't for my muscles and it wasn't for my money. Because I didn't have either of those things, man. She likes me for me. Woo! Just throwing that out there, fellas. So this time, Samson says, well... If you braid my hair into this cloth and then you hold it with a nail, that's the secret, man. That's, that I'll be just as weak as any other man. So he falls asleep. She braids his hair into this piece of cloth, puts a nail in it, wakes him up. Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he awakes. And just like every other time, man, he breaks out of it. He conquers the Philistines. And now Delilah is just all sorts of upset. The Bible says that she is like badgering this guy to find the secret to what his power really is. Some of you husbands can identify with that. Man, when a woman starts nagging and nagging and nagging, eventually you're going to give in, right, fellas? 
See, if this was like a men's conference, you guys would have been like cheering and like, yeah, yeah, women be shot. But on a Sunday morning with your wife sitting next to you, you're like, what's this guy talking about? Sweetheart, you never nag. I actually love the honeydews you asked me to do. This is wonderful. So she nags and she nags and nags. And finally, you would think that Samson would be cluing in at this point. Like every time I tell her the secret, I wake up and that has happened to me. Maybe she's trying to hurt me. Maybe she, she's really not trying to benefit me. But anyways, Samson says, well, hey, if you cut my hair, then I will be just as weak as any other man has ever been. And in Judges chapter 16, verse 19, the story picks up. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, and listen to what he thought. I'll go out as before and shake myself free, man. Just another day in the park. I've already done this. That pride, that arrogance has found its way into his life. But look at this. But he did not even know that the Lord had left him. He had become that cold and that calloused. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, and binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Friends, this once great anointed leader and warrior is now a prisoner, but this is what compromise does in our lives. It steals our vision. It takes our focus off what God has for us. It steals our dreams. Man, we're not pushing, we're not pursuing those things anymore. The sad reality is, is that so many of us have those types of sins in our life that we just kind of wink at a little bit. We just play a little flirty flirt with those sins because it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's just this. Oh, it's just God understands. And, but that sin that he just kind of played flirty flirt with, now he is a prisoner too. And now he is living an absolutely purposeless life. And all he's doing is just grinding grain. Grind and grain, this great man of God who was commissioned to be a leader and a warrior is now doing the work of a donkey every day, not living out his purpose, not living out his calling. He's just grinding grain. And the saddest part about all this is that for many of us in our lives, we don't even realize that it's happened. Because it's this slow fade, this slow process. Man, it's quiet in here this morning. I hope that's a good thing. Slow fade, slow process. Man, 10 years ago, your heart was just full of dreams and full of passion. And you knew God had a plan. And you knew God had a purpose. But those little foxes found their way into your life. And now you're just existing. Some of you just grinding grain, sitting in the same seat you were sitting in 10 years ago, doing the same thing you were doing 10 years ago, just living in existence. It's a slow fade that happens. I hope you understand today that nobody just randomly wakes up one day and says, man, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to destroy my life. That's what I, man, you know, I'm I'm, going to drop the kids off at school. I got to stop by the store. I'm going to destroy my life. I got to be to work at nine. Like, I'm just going to throw, 
Friend, that's not how it works. Those little foxes, those little compromises that just find their way into our life, find their way into our life, and before you know it, they're destroying our vineyard. Man, your life was in bloom. It was growing. It was expanding. God was moving in those little bitty foxes. I'm telling you, we got to catch those foxes in our lives this morning, church, because God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. We don't got time for little foxes. Catch those things, man. I want to give you three ways, three ways today to catch a compromised fox before it begins to ruin your life. Does that sound okay? The first thing, you, I'm going to tell you regardless whether it sounds okay or not, but the first thing you need is if you're going to catch a compromised fox, you have to be rooted in truth. It's the first thing you have to do because the enemy is desperate to erase all absolute truth in our society. He's working overtime because if he can remove absolute truth, then deception and lies can just spread rampant through our families and our homes and our schools and our societies. And those things are happening right now. Friends, we have to understand that truth doesn't change. If it was true 10 years ago, it's true today, and it will be true 100 years from now. If it was sin 10 years ago, it's sin today. It'll be sin 100 years from now. Friends, I want you to know that we've been given the truth. His name is Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the life. We can know him. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. You can know absolute truth, friends. We have to root our lives in truth. This is the firm foundation that we have to build our lives. We have to build our families on because the rain's going to come. The water is going to rise. The storm is going to beat against that house. But if it's rooted in truth, the house will stand, which is what God's calling each of your families to do. Stand. And as we mature and as we grow in the knowledge of God, Ephesians 4 says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Watch this. And by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You don't have to look very far in our world today, friends. And I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable and I'm not trying to be that preacher. But there is a whole lot of deceiving going on in our world. The sad thing about someone that's deceived, it's so hard to reach them. It's so hard to reason with them or rationalize with them. Have you ever thought about this? that the person that's deceived doesn't know they're deceived. Because if they knew they were deceived, then they wouldn't be deceived anymore. They don't know they're deceived. But friends, I'm telling you, you can live a life where you're not deceived. If you will let those roots go down, if you will read that word, believe that word, apply that word, build your life on that word, you can know the truth, and the truth can set you free this morning. The second thing that you have to have to catch those little compromised foxes is you have to realize your weaknesses. I don't know how often you spend uh, considering this, but do you know the weaknesses that you have in your life? 
Are you aware of them? Do you, do you contemplate those things? Well, why, why is that important, Mark? Why do I need to know my weaknesses? Because I can promise you 10,000% today, the enemy knows your weaknesses. The enemy is actively trying to steal, kill, and destroy you using your weaknesses. If he knows your weaknesses, friends, you better know those weaknesses too. You got to realize those things. So let's just pretend for a minute. Let's imagine that I have a donut problem. It's serious. I mean, it's a donut addiction, right? I just can't stay away when those warm, fresh, airy little spheres of goodness, man, I can't get enough of them. And it sucks because there's a daylight donuts like right across the street, man, the temptation's real. But I, I fully understand that the donuts are, are destroying my life. Like, this is a problem. And if I continue just to pound my face with donut after donut after donut, it is going to steal years from my life. Like, I understand this is not from the Lord. This donut is destroying me. So this is how it works in our life. So there's two ways for me to get to work. One way is a little bit quicker, sure. Save about five minutes. But it leads me right past the donut shop, man. That's a problem for me because I'm a donut addict right? The, the other way, it's five or 10 minutes longer. It's a little inconvenient, but it takes me around the donut shop. I, I'm removing that temptation from my life. And I do that for several weeks and everything's going great, man. Donut freeze a lot for me. Yeah, let's go. Doing good, feeling good, losing weight. Well, a storm blows in, the electric goes out, the alarm clock turns off. I wake up 30 minutes late and I'm just in a panic. I'm going to be late for work. And there's that little voice instantly on your shoulder that says, take the short way to work. Like, man, I'm going to have to take the short way to work. Because if I show up late, my boss is going to be mad. Friends, can I tell you, no matter what it takes, take the long way to work. Don't drive by the donut shop. Don't look at the donut shop. Don't Google images of donuts. Don't try to get downwind to the donut shop and get your little snippy sniff. Whatever it takes, friends, stay away from the donut shop. Stay away from it. So you take the long way to work, and life's good, man, and you're feeling good. And wouldn't it be wonderful, like, as a believer, once you pass a test, the enemy's like, man, good job. Well, I guess I'll just leave you alone forever. Man, this guy, wow, congrats. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But that, that's just not the case, okay? Because a few weeks go by and you're doing good. You're a single dude. Man, some beautiful woman comes into your life. She's so far out of your league. It's like a Blake and Hannah situation. I mean, it's not even close, man. Whoa. And you're looking at yourself and you're realizing like, man, I got a dad bod. And I don't got no money. And this woman, this must be God. God brought this woman into my life. But then you find out she's a baker. But God is the one who's ordaining this. Like, I could never pull a chick like that. And, and then you say the famous phrase that every compromised Christian uses when they know they're making the wrong choice. You say this, well, I just have a real peace about it. I just feel good about it. I just, I just have a real peace about it. Friends, can I tell you something? If you have a donut addiction, God is not going to send you a baker. Take it to the bank, man. There are four billion women on planet Earth, bro. Go find you a different one. Find you a butcher. Find you a candlestick maker. But stay away from the bakers. That's not God's. 
You got to know those weaknesses, man. And you got to avoid people in those situations that could leave you compromised. First Corinthians says this, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Don't think you're doing good, man. Don't think you're strong. Understand your weaknesses. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Wouldn't it be great if, as a child of God, you didn't have to be tempted and you didn't have to go through things that lost people do. But you do. You're tempted in the exact same ways. But God is faithful. Come on. Can I get an amen on that? Listen to this. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He won't let it be more than you can handle. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You don't have to fall into temptation. You don't have to fall into sin. Friends, quit driving by the donut shop to prove how strong you are. God doesn't need you to be strong. He needs you to be smart. Stay away from the donuts. If you remember nothing else today, remember that. The last thing that you got to have if you're going to catch those compromised fox in your life, you got to learn how to run, man. I mean, you, you got to learn how to run. James 4 says it like this. So then, surrender to God. Stop trying to do things your way, how you want it, when you want it, the way you want it. Surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him. And he will turn and run away from you. Now, well, listen, listen, we, we, we all love the last part of that verse. Resist the enemy and he's going to flee. Woo! I mean, we love that part, but that's a two-part verse. You don't just resist the enemy and he flees. The first thing you got to do is surrender to God. You're never going to make the enemy run from you until you learn to run towards God. I don't want it my way, God. I've had it my way long enough. And when I get my way, I make a mess of things. God, I'm running to you. I'm surrendering to you. This is where strength comes from. We all know our weaknesses. If not, you need to learn them. But where does your strength come from? How do you find the, the strength to stand when all hell is fighting against you? I wish I could say it was going to get easier to be a believer in this nation in the next 20 years, but I'm sad to tell you today that it's probably not. As a matter of fact, I expect to get it exponentially harder to be a true believer that stands for Christ in this nation, which is hard to believe. But you better know how to run from the enemy, and you better know how to run to God. Hebrews 4 tells us, we have a great high priest who has gone to live with God in heaven. He is Jesus, the Son of God. So let us continue to express our faith in him. Jesus, our high priest, is able to understand our weaknesses. Man, I don't know about anybody else. That encourages me. He understands what I'm going through. When Jesus lived on earth, he was tempted in every way. He was tempted in the same ways we are tempted but he never sinned. With Jesus as our high priest, we can feel free to come before God's throne where there is grace. There we receive mercy and kindness to help us when we need it. I'm sure I'm not the only one in the house this morning. There are times where I need his mercy. There's times where I need his kindness. There are times where I am desperate for the grace of God because I know I can't do it on my own. Where do you find your strength today, friends? There's only one place. 
The only way you're going to live a victorious life, the only way you're going to live an overcoming life, the only way you're going to accomplish those plans and those purposes and those dreams that God preordained for you, he has a destiny for your life. You don't just have to exist. But the only way you accomplish those things is when you learn to run to the Father. Say, God, I need your mercy. I need your kindness. I need your grace. God, I thought I was strong, but I'm not strong enough. And God, I don't want these little foxes to rob the best life that you have for me. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Bow your head, I want to pray with you. God, I thank you that you are such a good father. And God, I thank you that the greatest thing we could ever do with our life is your perfect will, your plans, your promises, your dreams for our life are so much greater than any plan or any dream that we could have for our life. Father, we believe that. God, make that a reality to us. Make it, make it so real and alive in us that anything that is keeping us from you, God, we don't want to keep it. Nothing worth keeping if it keeps us from you. God, would you show us those little foxes? in our lives that are waiting for that season of bloom, waiting for those seasons of growth and expansion that can sneak in there and steal and kill and destroy what you're doing in our lives, in our families, in this body. God, what you've done in this church is unbelievable. And God, I believe it is just the tip of the iceberg of what you want to do the next 10, 15, 20 years. But in order for us to see that, we got to deal with those little foxes inside of our lives. Holy Spirit, reveal those to us and then help us to run to the Father where there is hope, freedom, answers. Jesus, I thank you for everybody in this room. God, do a deep work in their life. Cause your love and your presence to become so alive. Give them an awareness that you're with them every second of every day and you do have a plan and purpose for their life. God, we're being so careful to give you the praise and the glory today. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. I love you guys. Hey, if you haven't signed up for camp, your kids, your youth, there's camp sign-ups right outside. Listen, I'm going to invite the prayer team. If there's anybody that needs prayer before you go, please come to this altar and get prayer before you leave today.